Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here. Lord, we ask that you just bless our time together. We ask that you speak louder than any voice in here and that you are the one that pokes and prods and challenges. Lord, we ask that this be a special time of gathering in your name. Amen. So we are continuing our series about what disciples do. I just want to say that um, it has been a very difficult series to not say do-do, but I feel like I've done a pretty good job um, not saying it. Mark Twain has a quote that he said, it's not, it's not the scriptures he doesn't understand that frustrate him. It's the ones that he does. And what he meant by that was, it's very easy for us to take those obscure, weird scriptures and just not apply them to our life because they're just too weird and obscure. There are very good things about preaching the way that we do through the lectionary. What it, what it does is, throughout a year, we will, well, throughout three years, we will go through the entire Gospels or Old Testament, whatever, whatever. So you get scriptures assigned to dates that have been assigned since the 1500s. And you have a choice to make. You either get to be unfaithful and skip hard scriptures, or you have to hit them head on. And we made the commitment that the reason why we use the lectionary is because you can't just skip around and pick the scriptures you want to. The scripture today is bonkers. Like, it, I, it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be like Inception and Vanilla Sky all rolled into one. Uh, but it's like, it... it it doesn't make any sense. And so this week I read six commentaries, and I kid you not, there were six different interpretations of what's going on in Luke. Now the funny thing is, you've probably all heard it if you've been here long enough. You've heard the last verse that we're talking about today. But you've probably never heard the first 12. You've probably never heard anyone attack this passage of Scripture as a whole. And I'm going to attempt it this morning. I feel like evil can evil a little bit. I need a hat and a flame retardant suit. And up here, someone grab a fire extinguisher because we're going to go. Um, we're going to start today by just reading the scripture. So that way, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we'll all be on the same page going forward. It's Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Now, verse 13, most of you have heard before. But... I'd be willing to bet that for most of you, verses 1 through 12, this might be the first time you've heard it right up front. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. Okay. So the rich landlord hears about someone that's not doing a good job property managing, and he fires him. Right? He says, you're not doing a good job, make an account, because you're no longer my manager. That part we can track with. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. Let me just tell you, this part right here, these two verses right here, did it bump you off again? No, it's like, I click on the scripture and it just plays. I didn't ask him to talk, did I? Teacher. Bad manager. Um, this part right here where it says, I'm too weak to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. 
This is always my problem when, when, we, when I'm in a group of people and we start talking about like post-apocalyptic stuff. Because really, I don't have any useful skills. It, it, when we're talking about like post-apocalyptic stuff, I'm pretty sure no one's going to need some Greek interpreted. And, and I don't know. I, it just, it, like, I, I, we put all these teams together. Like, we need a couple mechanical engineers, maybe an electrical engineer, definitely some nurses, maybe a doctor. Although I think the nurses might be more productive. Never mind. Um, <laughs> But like, we put all these people together that, that can help you start, and I'm like, well, what do I do? Uh, and I, I know, yes, we're still going to need religion and all that stuff, but in the, like in the beginning, I'm pretty worthless. So I understand with this idea of, I'm too weak to dig, <laughs> too ashamed to beg, uh, what am I going to do? And he says, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first one, How much do you owe my master? <laughs> 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it just 400. Then he told, and then, and then uh, he asked the next guy, the second guy, And how much do you owe? He said, A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill, and make it 800. So here's what he's done. He's hedged his bet. So when he gets fired from his job, he'll be able to go back to these guys and go, remember when I cut your debt like in half? Can I live with you? <laughs> the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. <coughs> this is where it gets weird. Whenever we have parables of a manager, it's always a story about God and his people. And God is always the manager. So we have this guy who basically rips off his, his, his manager, his, his landlord. He does something dishonest and cancels all this debt so that he can make friends with them and, and, and have a place to live. The, the, the landlord shows up and he says, man, good job. The way you ripped me off, that was brilliant. And, and, and if the parable runs the same way that Luke runs, the manager is supposed to be God. So we have this parable about God saying to someone that just ripped a bunch of people off, great job, man. <laughs> love the way you did that. I love the way you were dishonest. It, 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 it gets weirder. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So now we have this God character saying, Good job ripping, up, ripping me off. Uh, the people in the world, they're just smarter than everybody else. So you acted like they did. Way to go. The people of the light, my people, they're kind of slow. They don't get it. But you, you're very shrewd. The master commanded the world uh, more shrewd in dealing with their own, own kind and the people of the light. I tell you, verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. This is the Bible. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. This is what the manager is saying. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, and you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little... See, you've probably heard this one, verse 10. This is probably going to start to make sense now, because it gets easier to interpret at this point. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will, be, who will trust you with the true riches? 
And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's great, but what do you do with verses 3 through 10? Like, this doesn't, it, it doesn't, it, it, <laughs> it just doesn't add up with what everything else we're told. Now, this portion in Luke is very interesting, because it starts with really the prodigal son just a little bit before this. And it goes all the way through verse 17, where Luke is going to talk about money and how we handle it for, for almost a, two and a half chapters. And this falls right in the middle of this. And, and so Luke, Luke tells us, Jesus tells this parable, and Luke's writing it down, of this landowner that shows up and says, good job trying to rip me off. It was the best scheme I've ever seen. And, and you start to think about that, and it sounds a little bit crazy, but if you think about it, have you ever heard the phrase, like somebody say that owners start to look like their dogs after a while? Right? Or, or that spouses start to look like each other when they get old enough, you know, and they start... And there's, there's some psychology behind it because you start to like, uh, manifest their tics and their traits and stuff like that. So you begin to, to, to look a little bit like that. I don't know about the dog thing, though. Um, although Gingy does look a lot like Ben. Could be true. Um, but there's this, there's this idea that we, as, you, as you live with something or someone, you begin to reflect that thing. right? And so there is this take that maybe, maybe what we're talking about here is that this landlord had this manager for so long that the shrewdness just became part of what they do, right? And he was actually like, man, I didn't think you had the guts to do it, but you did. Good job. We don't know why this guy was going to be fired. It just says he was mismanaging the property. Maybe he was managing them honestly. We don't know. And so the landlord shows up and goes, good job. You finally got it. When I was reading through this, I kept thinking about that Mark Twain quote. And I kept thinking about, this sounds like the mafia. Like, when, when, when the godfather goes up and goes, you finally got it. The way you betrayed me, it was beautiful. And then they kill him. But, like, it, it's, just, it, it's, it's just bananas for us to think that, that, that the, 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 the person that got ripped off is now going, great job ripping me off. I'm really happy you did that. And the way you did it was so shrewd because other people, they just don't get you. You are so much smarter than all of them. There are some other takes. I told you there were six different takes. I'm not going to go through all six because some of them were just crazy. But one of them was that in Deuteronomy, they're told that they can't charge interest as a Jewish law to other, to, to other Jews. And so it could be that this manager was just going in and eliminating the interest of the loan and, and trying to make himself right with God before the manager fired him, before the landlord came in and fired him. This is, this is the one, that's the version that makes us feel really good about it. Because then, at least it seems like this guy's doing the right thing. Except the landlord said, you're so shrewd, I appreciate you. <laughs> so it definitely implies there's something crooked going on here. So why do we have this parable of, that Jesus is telling? In every other case, Luke talks about the manager as God. There's no other case in the book of Luke where the manager is not to be like assimilated to God. It's, it, it, it's, it's a metaphor for God always. And so now we have this story that just doesn't make sense. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to attempt to process six different people that have lots of initials after their names. And the way that I prayed through this this week. And we're going to go about 60,000 feet up in the air and take just a big, big look at all this and see what's going on. Because if you look at it too close, if you look at it from ground level, it makes no sense whatsoever. 
It makes it sound like God is telling us to rip people off in the name of Jesus. And I just can't. I, I just can't. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a step back, and we're going to take a look at this, what it looks like from much higher up. Technology is so convenient. All right, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at this as a whole in the context of Luke 15 all the way through Luke 17 as we're talking about money, right? This is not the first time that Luke is going to talk about being shrewd with money or being cautious with money or, or treating money in a different way. But what Luke does here, what Jesus does here, and Luke just kind of just reiterates and tells the story of, is Jesus does this thing where he, in a weird way, he ties money and possessions to relationships, Right? So here comes the, the manager after he's about to be fired. He goes to these people knowing full well that if he can just do something nice for them, like real nice, cutting their debt completely in half, then eventually they'll be able to take him in. So there's this, there's this idea that money and relationships or possessions and relationships are somehow tied together. Right? Now, if we're not careful, it would be very, very easy to preach a very socialist message out of this. Right? But here's the difference. And I wrestled with this for a long time. Communism and socialism, you know why they don't work? Because the government enforces it. When your own personal conviction and your own personal transformation leads you to giving your things away, it's totally different. When you're walking in a way that you are close to God and you want to respond to God, and you see people that need things, and you have more than you need, then you give those things away because no one's mandating it. It's your own personal conviction that happens. And so then you see this crazy transformation that takes place. Like when Christianity moves into Africa, and you see these countries that we would call third world or developing or whatever, they start to become economically sound. And you start to see people that there's companies all over the place that are doing these microloans in Africa where they literally loan $20 to someone that has a business plan. And they took that $20 and they open up a shop. And the first bit of money they make, they pay back that $20 and they take that money again. It's almost like a global credit union, right? They pay back the loan, they loan it again. And all these economies are starting to flourish a little bit under this idea that, wait a second, if we just give them a little bit, they can do a lot with that, with the understanding that they are then going to participate in giving back to somebody. So they pay the loan back immediately, knowing that that flower shop that opened is now going to be the one that, that funds that corn shop that opens. And so this whole community gathers together and they begin to give what they have in excess away. Now, what that does is it links possessions to people. When you've opened your flower shop and you pay back your loan and you see another stand down the street open up, there's something about it that, that that thing is now part yours too. You've participated in it. And so I, I believe what Jesus is doing here is he is tying together the importance of our stuff with our people. And that we have control over affecting relationships with the way we handle our stuff. I don't think there's anything in here where God is saying you can't have stuff. I, I think that there is... There is overwhelming evidence that God is simply saying, Jesus is saying, when you have stuff, first of all, don't let it affect your relationships negatively. In fact, use that stuff to actually build your relationships. 
Not in a way where you're trying to manipulate. Not in a way where you're trying to say, well, I've got a boat. So if you want to come out of my boat, you better be nice to me. It's not that way. It's just that I have a boat. You should come on my boat. It's going to be fun. And all of a sudden, now you've solidified relationships. Or, or let's make it a little more, little more tangible. I've got this UTV Polaris that, that, that goes anywhere, and you, you, should, you should come ride with me on my Raptor. Joe, anytime you invite me, I will come. But there's this, this idea that, that our stuff is very linked to the way we live in the world. And how we interact with the world with our stuff is very important. You can make or break relationships with the way you use your stuff, with the way you manipulate your stuff. So here comes the manager coming in and going, you have misused your stuff. You have misused my stuff. But you did it in a way that is solidified relationship. Right? So, so he mismanaged stuff. But the relationship became more important than the stuff in this story. The relationship with these people. Now, yes, he was hedging his bets. Yes, he was, he was making sure he had a place to lay down that night after he was fired and kicked out of the house he, he lives in. But there's something to it where there's possessions are here to make our relationship stronger. The way that we use our stuff. The way that everything happens. Think about the church in Acts. When the, first, the church first took off, Right? If you want to ever see a scriptural like, example for why we should be socialist, it's the book of Acts. But again, there's no government body saying you have to do it. It's people coming together with one light cause saying, yes, we want this to happen because we want no one to be worse off than anybody else. And all, this is exactly what they're talking about. Every, it said they sold everything. Everything became everyone's. That's, that's scary to hear in a capitalist country. But the bottom line is, it's this, it's this motivation that comes from within to use our stuff to solidify relationships. And so, as we, as we move on through and we start looking more and more at this idea that in verse 10, we start to make sense of it, right? Because you've heard this sermon before. That it, those that are trusted with little can be trusted with much. Those that cannot be trusted with little cannot be trusted with much. And so, people say that, that, that we should be real, like... Perfect example. Have you ever seen that show? Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's about people that win the lottery like 10 years later. Oh, yeah. And they're even broker and have no relationships intact whatsoever. They won like $17 million and they're alone, divorced, living off in the woods somewhere. There's something that happens when we haven't learned how to manage the little things and all of a sudden you're given too much stuff. Oprah did it a few years ago where... She, she did this thing where she was going to give a homeless person an exorbitant amount of money. And that was going to change their life. Well, it did. It made it worse. And she, it was a whole year documentary with a, a following around. And it's just, it's, when you don't learn how to manage a little, when you're given too much, you have no idea what to do. Have you ever been dehydrated? Like really dehydrated? And you get to some place where there's water, and you just start chugging? And then you throw up everywhere. Like, it, it, this is a crazy thing because it's not just spiritual. This is a scientific thing. If, if you don't have enough, if you didn't manage the water you have well enough, and you give yourself too much, your body will expel it. You, it's, this, this thing runs through everything. Think about this. We live in Nevada. When there's not enough water, and then we get too much water, we have flash floods. 
right? So this is not just something that happens in, in, in Scripture where Luke is teaching this thing. This happens everywhere. When you have a little and you don't do well with that and you're given too much, it doesn't end well, ever. And so we have Luke telling the story of being, you need to take what you have, even if it's a little bit, manage that well. And then, if you're blessed with more or when you're blessed with more, you will manage that well. It'll just become natural. I'm going to brag on my daughter for just a little bit, which means she gets to pick where we go to lunch when we're going home. So, um, <laughs> Emma, Emma just recently, about a year ago, I guess last summer, got her first job. And she comes up to me and she says, Dad, is it okay with my, with my paychecks if I, do, uh, if, if I put 70% in my checking account, 20% in savings, and 10% to tithe? Okay. Now, let me just tell you, her paychecks are like $60 every two weeks, <laughs> okay? But the church gets a check sent from our bank for $6.87. What she's doing right now is managing a little so that when she gets older and she has a real paycheck, <laughs> oh, you're going to be a teacher. When, when, <laughs> when she gets older and has a bigger paycheck... It'll be so much easier because now she's got this mindset that when she goes in and finds out what she's making, she automatically subtracts 30% of that and lives on 70%, right? And so as she's managing a little, I mean, the girl has more in savings than we do right now. But as, as she manages a little, it's going to be that much easier to manage a lot when she gets older. And so this is what the scripture is about. The scripture is about how do we manage the stuff that we're entrusted with? And how do we keep our relationships intact during that? So we're not just focused on money, right? I don't know if you know this, but sometimes building projects can be expensive. And, and so as we start like revisiting budgets and stuff for the building and all this kind of stuff, there's these questions that come up. And we have to ask, like, what are we going to do if we get to the point where we don't have the money to do it anymore? Like, what if we run out of money? Like, what do we do? And you know what's really easy to do? It's really easy to say, well, we're going to be good stewards of that money. We're going to save it all. But I don't read any stories in Revelation that talked about the blessed church that had a big savings account. <laughs> right? At some, point, at some point, that money has to go out to do good things for people. Because if we're just saving, then we're that same story that Luke told before. Where the guy's got big old towers of grain and he dies the next day. And his grain goes away. There has to be this balance in our life where we are not just being faithful to keep it, but we're being good stewards in a way that we are sharing, that we are giving, that we, that we are encouraging these relationships, but we're also saying, yes, but we're also in charge of this big thing. We have to manage it well, but it cannot come in the place of relationships. And here's what that looks like. As he gets down into verse 12 and verse 13. When he starts saying things like, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other, or be devoted to one and love the other. Or you, you cannot have two. You have to pick one. Now, when he says that you either have to, you have to love God and hate money, probably one of the worst translations in all of the NIV. Because that word is actually mammon, which is an evil tone for money and possessions. It's not like the regular word for money that we would just talk about. But he says you can't, you can't be controlled by it. 
It can't be the thing that drives you. It can't be the thing that wakes you up. You, 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 can't, you can't be excited to go to work because of the bank you're making. Every person in here has a job that makes a difference. And you may not see that. It, it may not be a thing. But you don't know because it may not be a thing where you get to make a difference because you changed someone's life. But, but even if you, if you are, no matter what you do, if you come in contact with people, if you interact with people at work, if you interact with people as you volunteer, as you live your life, you're making a difference in everywhere you go. In, in, in college, um, as I was a student at Southern Nazarene University, I'm going to pause the recording. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I worked as a bartender. And I'll tell you, I met some of the craziest people being a bartender. We, our restaurant was right in between two hotels. And so everyone that came in for business stayed in those hotels, and it was either our steakhouse or Applebee's. So you could tell who had a per diem. They came to our restaurant. If they were on their own dime, they went to Applebee's. But they, they, they would always, they were by themselves, so they would usually eat at the bar. And I would have some of the most craziest conversations with these folks and serve them alcohol. But it was so weird that the, the, the way that I was able to interact. So I'm not, whatever you do, you have the ability to change people's lives. It doesn't mean that, that your job is creating something that's going to change someone's life. But the way you interact with people. And so this is, what, this is what should get you up in the morning, right? These relationships that you make. Even if you're telecommuting, right? And, and the only people you talk to are on the phone. You still have the ability to go into that situation and be the nicest person they talk to that day. Some of you are invited into people's homes to do whatever. Man, what a great opportunity to, to, to just be able to be something that they're not used to having. It blows my mind sometimes where we, we had a plumber a few years ago that he would come in the house and he would just, if it was me, he would just F-bomb this, F-bomb that. And I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea who I am. Yeah. But since I'm a guy, you can talk that way, right? Since I, if you don't believe me, guys, go to Napa Auto Park sometime and just go up to the desk and I guarantee there's going to be at least one F-bomb dropped. Because you're a guy, so they can talk to you that way. But we have the ability in every interaction we have to be a little bit different. So what gets me up in the morning it is not the idea that I get to open up a lexicon and I get to read, I get to read William Barclay or I get to read all these commentators. That's not what gets me up in the morning. What gets me up in the morning is I'm going to have interactions with people and those are the things that are going to change everything. How do you get rid of greed? Is you change the way you think about how you make money. Can you still make money and be involved in people's lives? Absolutely. But the thing that gets you up in the morning is not your paycheck. It's not your commission. The thing that gets you up in the morning is the way you're going to interact with people. The way you're going to use your possessions to change somebody's day. The way you're going to show up and be different. And I'm telling you, it's not always easy. But we have to change the way we look at our money and our possessions into being people tools rather than tools to buy things. And everything changes after that. There's a story of a company that moved to the Amazon. And they, they, uh, they, they went into the Amazon to this, to this tribe. And this tribe was very simple. They didn't, they didn't work outside. They, everything was self-sufficient. They did everything themselves. And this company went in and started hiring people to come and work in their factories. And so for the first month, everybody showed up to work, and the second month came around, and everyone stopped showing up. And so they went to the village to ask what's going on, and they said, well, we have everything we need. 
Why in the world would we go keep going to work? We, I mean, we just made more than our entire grandparents and their parents before them ever made in their lives. We're good. So this company thought, hmm, we're going to start sending them catalogs to show them what they don't know that they want. And then they're going to see these things, and sure enough, the next month they all showed back up to work. And they all, they all kept coming to work. They all kept coming to work because, man, they got to have that new blender. No electricity, but they got to have the blender. <laughs> they just got to have something, something new. I, wanna, I just want to end with this story because I think it sums everything up really well. If you get caught up in the cycle of wealth is wealth, and that's what you're striving for and not relationship, this is what happens. It's an old, uh, it's an old parable from India where a guru had a disciple his star disciple, and he's just, just doing so well. At one point, the guru says, you know what? It's time for you to go out on your own. It's time to do your thing, and, and it's time to, to, to leave me and, and be your own disciple. So the man leaves. Um, he gets himself a, a mud hut, and he has the mud hut and a loincloth. Those are his possessions. So he begs for his money. He, he does little odd jobs, and he, and, he, and he gets money to eat and survive like that, but he's very simple. Everything is very, very simple. And so at one point... His loincloth just gets dirty, because they do, and he has to dry his loincloth. He washes it, dries it, and I, I don't know what he was wearing in the meantime. He stayed in his mud hut. But the rats come, and they eat his loincloth. So now, as the story goes, he has to go out and beg for money to buy a new loincloth. You know how you convince people you need a new loincloth? You don't have a loincloth. <laughs> There's no arguing with the fact you need one. So he raises the money to get a new loincloth, and the time comes where he has to wash that loincloth and puts it out to dry. The rats eat it again. So then he goes out, begs for a new loincloth. This time they give it to him quicker. And they give him a little bit of extra so he can buy another loincloth. Well, he's thinking. He says, I could buy another loincloth with this, or I could buy a cat. And that way, when the rats come to eat my loincloth, the cat will eat the mice, the rats. And that worked out really well. Until he realized he had to feed the cat. And so now he's not only just begging for himself, because the cat's not very good at eating rats or whatever, but now he's got to beg for cat food as well. And so now he's like, well, now what do I do? I have this problem where I've got a loincloth, but now I've got this cat to feed, um, and I, I totally get it because i got to go to Costco to buy dog food today. <laughs> the rats are taken care of, but now he needs milk for the cat. So he goes out and he starts begging and he buys himself a cow. Because now, now he's got all the milk the cat needs. The cat is taking care of the rats with a loincloth. And he can always have a loincloth there because no more rats are eating the loincloth. And, and, but now he's got another problem. He's got a cow. But what are you going to do with a cow? Eat it. <laughs> Eat it. That's great until the cow's gone. I like your answer better. Did you say grow grass? He said that. You've got to buy a plot of land, right? So he goes out and begs for this land. He gets land and grows wheat. And now he's got all this wheat. So now he can feed the cow. And the cow can feed the cat. And the cat can eat the mice. Isn't there a book about this? And then they sneeze and everything comes out. <laughs> he plants all this stuff, but now he realizes that he has, he, he, he's like so busy doing everything, 
He has no time to be a disciple and meditate. So he goes out, raises money to get some servants. So now he's got servants. Now the servants are taking care of the crops, which are feeding the cow, which are feeding the cat, which are taking care of the rats. Perfect. Well, except for now he's got too much to manage. And like every smart man, when he has too much to manage, he goes out and finds himself a wife. And you know where this is going. There ain't no way he's affording that. No, I'm just kidding. He goes out and he gets married. And he's, well, why not? He's got this farm. He's got a cow. He's got a cat. He's got a loincloth still. I don't know what he's wearing at this point, but I I picture this rich guy still in a loincloth because he's got principles. Um, So his wife, she she doesn't like the mud hut. So now he's got to buy a house. And now they have this house for the wife to live in, to manage the servants that are managing the field that are feeding the cow that's feeding the cat to kill the rats. And we have all this stuff, one up, one notch, one notch, one notch, and they keep going up. Well, years later... This man's guru comes back, traveling through town, and he stopped in to see his old student. He was shocked about what he saw. (laughs) I would guess. Where once stood a simple mud hut, there now loomed this palace, surrounded by a vast estate, worked by many servants. And the guru says, what's the meaning of this? He says, you won't believe this, sir. You, you would not believe, but there is no other way I could keep my loincloth. <laughs> we get sucked in, literally the rat race, and all of a sudden we justify it with the silliest thing. I had to do all this to keep my loincloth. This, this whole empire came from that reason. There's a movie called Any Given Sunday where the football players go on strike. And there's a line where the reporters are like, wait a second, why are you on strike? Don't you make enough money? Are you guys laughing because I said my last story? Now I'm telling you another one. We're quoting rat race. They come into the locker room and they're interviewing these football players that are millionaires. They said, how much money do you need? And one of the guys goes, you have no idea how much insurance is on my Ferrari. Oh my God. It's amazing how little choices can lead to the next step can lead to the next step, can lead to the next step. Before you know it, you are so overwhelmed with a lifestyle you've created that you can't keep up anymore. And you have to have an estate with servants and a wife and corn and a cow and cat just to keep your loincloth. If we make sure that we keep people the priority rather than everything we have, you stop waking up for the next thing and you start looking for ways that you can give. You start looking for ways that you can interact with. And it's not just giving money, seriously. There there are people that I've just taken up to Hobart in my Jeep because I have a Jeep that I'm telling you, it makes their entire millennia. Because they live for a thousand years, apparently. (laughs) But like, you can change someone's day by just saying, I have a Jeep, it's a dirt road, let's just go up there and fish. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, that was amazing. It doesn't, it's not always money. It's about what do you have that can make someone's day. Megan's got a cookie recipe that I'm telling you right now. If you guys want sugar cookies, call Megan. (laughs) 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 
You're going to be so busy. Wait until finals. So like, wait like seven more months, then call Megan. She'll be free. But they, they, we have these things. We, we, all, we all possess these things that we know or that we do. And we can make a world of difference to people by sharing the things that we have. By being good managers of the things that God has given us to manage. And by making the relationships the important thing, not the dollar amount. Or not the... It, it, there, there are times where I'll drive up to Hobart and someone will try to give me gas money. First of all, I'm going to Hobart because I want to. I'm taking you with me. All right, so it's not that... If, Hobart's a, a mountain lake. Up, <laughs> some of you are like, what's Hobart? Um, it's the greatest lake in the entire state of Nevada. Uh, that includes Lake Tahoe. Um, so when I go up there, don't, don't, don't give me gas money. This is one of those things that we are going to do as something that I have a Jeep, you want to fish Hobart. Let's go. That's just the way it is. We're going to share our stuff because relationships are more important than the stuff that we have. The things that we have are there to harbor these relationships. The band's going to come back up and we're going to move into connecting time.